0: CHAPTER TEN OF AN INTRODUCTION TO THE HISTORY OF SCIENCE BY WALTER Libby. THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. CHAPTER TEN. THE INTERACTION OF THE SCIENCES. WERNER, HUTTON, BLACK, HALL, WILLIAM SMITH. THE VIEW EXPRESSED BY FRANKLIN REGARDING THE EXISTENCE OF A FIERY MASS UNDERLYING THE CRUST OF THE EARTH WAS NOT, IN HIS TIME, UNIVERSALLY ACCEPTED. In fact, it was a question very vigorously disputed what part the internal or volcanic fire played in the formation and modification of the rock masses. Divergent views were represented by men who had come to the study of geology with varying aims and diverse scientific schooling, and the advance of the science of the Earth's crust was owing in no small measure to the interaction of the different sciences which the exponents of the various points of view brought to bear. Abraham Gottlob Werner, 1750 to 1817, was the most conspicuous and influential champion on the side of the argument opposed to the acceptance of volcanic action as one of the chief causes of geologic formations. He was born in Saxony and came from a family which had engaged for 300 years in mining and metalworking. They were active in Saxony when George Agricola prepared his famous works on metallurgy and mineralogy, inspired by the traditional wisdom of the local iron industry. Werner's father was an overseer of ironworks, and furnished his son with mineral specimens as playthings before the child could pronounce their names. In 1769, Werner was invited to attend the newly founded Berg Academy School of Mines at Freiburg. Three years later he went to the University of Leipzig, but, true to his first enthusiasm, wrote in 1774 concerning the outward characteristics of minerals found in Auserlichen Kennenzeichen der Fossilien. The next year he was recalled to Freiburg as a teacher of mineralogy and curator of collections. He was intent on classification and might be compared in that respect with the naturalist Buffon or the botanist Linnaeus. He knew that chemistry afforded a surer but slower procedure. His was a practical, intuitive field method. He observed the color, the hardness, weight, fracture of minerals, and experienced the joy the youthful mind feels in rapid identification. He translated Kronstedt's book on mineralogy, descriptive of the practical blowpipe tests. After the identification of minerals, Werner was interested in their discovery, the location of deposits, their geographical distribution, and the relative positions of different kinds of rocks, especially the constant juxtaposition or superposition of one stratum in relation to another. Werner was an eloquent, systematic teacher with a great charm of manner. He kept in mind the practical purposes of mining, and soon people flocked to Freiburg to hear him from all the quarters of Europe. He had, before long, disciples in every land. He saw all phenomena from the standpoint of the geologist. He knew the medicinal as well as the economic value of minerals. He knew the relation of the soil to the rocks and the effects of both on racial characteristics. Building stone determines style of architecture. Mountains and river courses have bearing on military tactics. He turned his linguistic knowledge to account and furnished geology with a definite nomenclature. Alex v. Humboldt, Robert Jameson, de Aubusson, Weiss, the teacher of Froebel, were among his students. Crystallography and mineralogy became the fashion. Goethe was among the enthusiasts, and philosophers like Schelling, under the spell of the new science, almost deified the physical universe. Werner considered all rocks as having originated by crystallization, either chemical or mechanical, from an aqueous solution, a universal primitive ocean. He was a Neptunist, as opposed to the vulcanists or plutonists who believed in the existence of a central fiery mass. Werner thought that the earth showed universal strata like the layers of an onion, the mountains being formed by erosion, subsidence, cavings in. In his judgment, Granite was a primitive rock formed previous to animal and vegetable life, hence without organic remains, by chemical precipitation. Silesia slate was formed later by mechanical crystallization. At this period, organized fossils first appear. Sedimentary rocks like old red sandstone and according to Werner, basalt are in a third class. Drift, sand, rubble, boulders come next and finally volcanic products like lava ashes and pumice he was quite positive that all basalt was of aqueous origin and of quite recent formation this part of his teaching was soon challenged he was truer to his own essential purposes in writing a valuable treatise on metalliferous veins he knew theory de urzganga but even there his general views are apparent for he holds that veins are clefts filled in from above by crystallization from aqueous solution before werner had begun his teaching career at freiburg the french geologist had made a special study of the basalts of auvergne as a mathematician he was able to make a trigonometrical survey of that district and constructed a map showing the craters of volcanoes of different ages the streams of lava following the river courses and the relation of basalt to lava, scoria, ashes, and other recognized products of volcanic action. In seventeen eighty eight he was made Inspector General of French manufactures, later superintendent of the porcelain works, etc. He lived to the age of ninety, and whenever Neptunist would try to draw him into argument, the old man would simply say, Go and see. James Hutton, seventeen twenty six to seventeen ninety seven, the illustrious scotch geologist had something of the same aversion to speculation that did not rest on evidence though he was eminently a philosopher in the strictest sense of the word as his three quarter volumes on the principles of knowledge bear witness hutton was well trained at edinburgh in the high school and university in a lecture on logic an illustrative reference to aqua regia turned his mind to the study of chemistry he engaged in experiments and ultimately made a fortune by a process for the manufacture of sal ammoniac from coal soot. In the meantime, he studied medicine at Edinburgh, Paris, and Leiden, and continued the pursuit of chemistry. Then, having inherited land in Berwickshire, he studied husbandry in Norfolk and took interest in the surface of the land and watercourses. Later, he pursued these studies in Flanders, during years of highly successful farming during which hutton introduced new methods in Berwickshire, he was interested in meteorology and in geology as related to soils in seventeen sixty eight financially independent dr hutton retired to reside in edinburgh he was very genial and sociable and was in close association with adam smith the economist and with black known in the history of chemistry in connection with carbonic acid latent heat and experiments in magnesia quicklime and other alkaline substances 1777 playfair a professor of mathematics and later of natural philosophy was hutton's disciple and intimate friend in the distinguished company of the royal society of edinburgh established in 1782 the founder of dynamic geology was stimulated by these and other distinguished men like william robertson lord kames and watt the first volume of the transactions contained his theory of rains and the first statement of his famous theory of the earth he was very broad-minded and enthusiastic and would rejoice in watt's improvements of the steam engine or cook's discoveries in the south pacific Without emphasizing his indebtedness to Horace Benedict de Sassur, physicist, geologist, meteorologist, botanist, who gave to Europeans an appreciation of the sublime in nature, nor dwelling further on the range of Hutton's studies in language, general physics, and so forth, it is already made evident that his mind was such as to afford comprehensiveness of view he expressed the wish to induce men who had sufficient knowledge of the particular branches of science to employ their acquired talents in promoting general science or knowledge of the great system where ends and means are wisely adjusted in the constitution of the material universe philosophy he says is surely the ultimate end of human knowledge or the object at which all sciences properly must aim sciences no doubt should promote the arts of life but he proceeds what are all the arts of life or all of the enjoyments of mere animal nature compared with the art of human happiness gained by education and brought to perfection by philosophy man must learn to know himself he must see his station among created things he must become a moral agent but it is only by studying things in general that he may arrive at this perfection of his nature To philosophize, therefore, without proper science is in vain, although it is not vain to pursue science without proceeding to philosophy. In the early part of 1785, Dr. Hutton presented his Theory of the Earth in 96 pages of perfectly lucid English. The globe is studied as a machine adapted to a certain end, namely to provide a habitable world for plants, for animals, and above all, for intellectual beings capable of the contemplation and the appreciation of order and harmony. Hutton's theory might be made plain by drawing an analogy between geological and meteorological activities. The rain descends on the earth. Streams and rivers bear it to the sea. The aqueous vapors drawn from the sea supply the clouds, and the circuit is complete. Similarly, the soil is formed from the overhanging mountains it is washed as sediment into the sea it is elevated after consolidation into the overhanging mountains the earth is more than a mechanism it is an organism that repairs and restores itself in perpetuity thus hutton explained the composition dissolution and restoration of land upon the globe on a general principle even as newton had brought a mass of details under the single law of gravitation again as newton had widened man's conception of a space so hutton and buffon enlarged his conception of time for the geologist did not undertake to explain the origin of things he found no vestige of a beginning no prospect of an end and at the same time he conjured up no hypothetical causes no catastrophes or sudden convulsions of nature neither did he like werner believe that phenomena now present were once absent but he undertook to explain all geological change by processes in action now as heretofore. Countless ages were requisite to form the soil of our smiling valleys, but time which measures everything in our idea and is often deficient to our schemes is to nature endless and as nothing. The calcareous remains of marine animals in the solid body of the earth bear witness to a period to which no other species of chronology is able to remount hutton's imagination on the basis of what can be observed today, pictured the chemical and mechanical disintegration of the rocks and saw ice streams bearing huge granite boulders from the declivities of primitive and more gigantic alps he believed as desmarais that rivulets and rivers have constructed and are constructing their own valley systems and that the denudation ever in process would be eventually fatal to the sustenance of plant and animal and man if the earth were not a renewable organism, in which repair is correlative with waste. All strata are sedimentary, consolidated at the bottom of the sea by the pressure of water and by subterranean heat. How are strata raised from the ocean bed? By the same subterranean force that helped to consolidate them. The power of heat for the expansion of bodies is, says Hutton, possibly having in mind the steam engine, so far as we know, unlimited. We see liquid stone pouring from the crater of a lofty volcano and casting huge rocks into mid-air, and yet find it difficult to believe that Vesuvius and Etna themselves have been formed by volcanic action. The interior of the planet may be a fluid mass, melted but unchanged by the action of heat. The volcanoes are spiracles or safety valves and are widely distributed on the surface of the earth hutton believed that basalt and the windstones generally are of igneous origin moreover he put granite in the same category and believed it had been injected as also metalliferous veins in liquid state into the stratified rocks if his supposition were correct then granite would be found sending out veins from its large masses to pierce the stratified rocks and to crop out where stratum meets stratum his conjecture was corroborated at glen tilt and in the island of Arran. hutton was so elated at the verification of his view that the scotch guides thought he had struck gold or silver at the very least in the bed of the river tilt he could see at six points within half a mile powerful veins of red granite piercing the black micaceous schist and giving every indication of having been intruded from beneath with great violence into the earlier formation Button felt confirmed in his view that in nature there is wisdom, system, and consistency. Even the volcano and earthquake, instead of being accidents or arbitrary manifestations of divine wrath, are part of the economy of nature and are the best clue we have to the stupendous force necessary to heave up the strata, inject veins of metals and igneous rocks, and ensure a succession of habitable worlds. In 1795, Dr. Hutton published a more elaborate statement of his theory in two volumes. In 1802, Playfair printed illustrations of the Huttonian theory, a simplification having, naturally, little originality. Before his death in 1797, Hutton devoted his time to reading new volumes by Saussure on the Alps and in preparing a book on the elements of agriculture. Sir James Hall of Douglas was a reluctant convert to Hutton's system of geology. Three arguments against the Huttonian hypothesis gave him cause for doubt. Would not matter solidifying after fusion form a glass, a vitreous, rather than a crystalline product? Why do basalts, whinstones, and other supposedly volcanic rocks differ so much in structure from lava? How can marble and other limestones have been fused, seeing that they are readily calcined by heat hutton thought that the compression under which the subterranean heat had been applied was a factor in the solution of these problems he was encouraged in this view by black who as already implied had made a special study of limestone and had demonstrated that lime acquires its causticity through the expulsion of carbonic acid hall conjectured in addition that the rate at which the fused mass cooled might have some bearing on the structure of igneous rocks an accident in the leith glass works strengthened the probability of his conjecture and encouraged him to experiment a pot of green bottled glass had been allowed to cool slowly with the result that it had a stony rather than a vitreous structure hall experimenting with glass could secure either structure at will by cooling rapidly or slowly and that with the same specimen. He later enclosed some fragments of whinstone in a black lead crucible, and subjected it to intense heat in the reverberating furnace of an iron foundry. He was in consultation with Mr. Wedgwood on the scale of heat, and with Dr. Hope and Dr. Kennedy, chemists. After boiling, and then cooling rapidly, the contents of the crucible proved of black glass. Hull repeated the experiment, and cooled more slowly the result was an intermediate substance neither glass nor windstone a sort of slag again he heated the crucible in the furnace and removed it quickly to an open fire which was maintained some hours and then permitted to die out the result in this case was a perfect windstone similar results were obtained with regular basalts and different specimens of igneous rock Hall next experimented with lava from Vesuvius, Etna, Iceland, and elsewhere, and found that it behaved like quenstone. Dr. Kennedy, by careful chemical analysis, confirmed Hall's judgment of the similarity of these two igneous products. Still later, Hall introduced chalk and powdered limestone into porcelain tubes, gun barrels, and tubes bored in solid iron, which he sealed and brought to very high temperatures. He obtained by fusion a crystalline carbonate resembling marble. Under the high pressure in the tube the carbonic acid was retained. By these and other experiments this doubting disciple confirmed Hutton's theory and became one of the great founders of experimental geology. It remained for William Smith, 1769 to 1839, surveyor and engineer, to develop that species of chronology that hutton had ascribed to organic remains in the solid strata to arrange these strata in the order of time and thus become the founder of historic geology for this task his early education might at first glance seem inadequate his only schooling was received in an elementary institution in oxfordshire he managed however to acquire some knowledge of geometry and at eighteen entered as assistant a surveyor's office he never attained any literary facility and was always more successful in conveying his observations by maps drawings and conversation than by books however he early began his collection of minerals and observed the relation of the soil and the vegetation to the underlying rocks Engaged at the age of 24 in taking levelings for a canal, he noticed that the strata were not exactly horizontal, but dipped to the east like slices of bread and butter, a phenomenon he considered of scientific significance. In connection with his calling, he had an opportunity of traveling to the north of England and so extended the range of his observation, always exceptionally alert for six years he was engaged as engineer in the construction of the somerset coal canal where he enlarged and turned to practical account his knowledge of strata collectors of fossils as lamarck afterwards called organic remains were surprised to find smith able to tell in what formation their different specimens had been found and still more when he enunciated the view that whatever strata were to be found in any part of england the same remains would be found in it and no other moreover the same order of superposition was constant among the strata as werner of whom smith knew nothing had indeed taught smith was able to dictate a tabular view of british strata from coal to chalk with the characteristic fossils establishing an order that was found to obtain on the continent of Europe, as well as in Britain. He constructed geological maps of Somerset and 14 other English counties, to which the attention of the Board of Agriculture was called. They showed the surface outcrops of strata, and were intended to be of assistance in mining, road-making, canal construction, draining, and water supply it was at the time of william smith's scientific discoveries that the public interest in canal transportation was at its height in england and his study of the strata was a direct outcome of his professional activity he called himself a mineral surveyor and he traversed many thousands of miles yearly in connection with his calling and his interest in the study of geology in eighteen fifteen he completed an extensive geological map of england on which all subsequent geological maps have been modeled. It took into account the collieries, mines, canals, marshes, fens, and the varieties of soil in relation to the substrata. Later, 1816 to 1819, Smith published four volumes, Strata Identified by Organized Fossils, which put on record some of his extensive observations. His mind was practical and little given to speculation. It does not lie in our province here to trace his influence on Cuvier and other scientists, but to add his name as a surveyor and engineer to the representatives of mineralogy, chemistry, physics, mathematics, philosophy, and various industries and vocations which contributed to the early development of modern geology. End of chapter 10